This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. My guest today left her childhood home in India to pursue the American dream. She bought a one-way ticket to the United States and thus began a journey of not only self-discovery, but ultimately also launched a mission to unleash female leaders and accelerate their success. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast. Nikki Barua is truly living her best life as a serial entrepreneur, international keynote speaker, best-selling author, and leading expert in helping people and organizations adapt to change. Nikki, welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, Liz. Well, you are so welcome. You have had so much success. Congratulations on all of that. And yet, growing up, you really didn't know what you wanted to be. You admit that other than being fascinated by people who had big ideas to change their lives, you felt that your whole life was totally incongruent to your reality. So first question is, where did these big ideas come from? Like most young girls growing up in India at the time, there weren't a whole lot of role models, you know, that you could see in regular life. Most of the girls went to school to become suitable wives. A lot of moms stayed at home. That idea of, you know, that there was something bigger in store for me really came about from my father's inspiration. He created this collage of incredible female role models. And he created a collage and put it on the inside of my closet door. And in the center of that, he sketched out my face and wrote my name. And he didn't say a word about it to me. He didn't say, I want you to grow up to be like them, or here's what your future should be like. He just kept adding pictures to that. And so every day as I'd open my closet door, I would look at this collage and I'd see myself surrounded by these incredibly powerful women. And I began to think of them as my friends. I felt like if they can do it, so can I. And I began to imagine that life was really about impact. It's about your contribution to the world and anything is possible. And that mental imagery is really what got me started on this desire to make a massive difference in the world. But that's easier said than done to have that North Star, but to know how to get there is a whole different story. It's almost as if your father created a vision board for you before you even knew what a vision board was, right? (laughs) hundred percent. That was exactly what it was. And I don't think that he necessarily thought of it that way either. I think he was just trying to inspire a different perspective, given the context and the age in which I grew up. I'm so grateful for that powerful image, because to this day, anytime I encounter a new situation, which is beyond my current level of expertise or confidence, I think back to that mental image. And I just know that I will find a way. That's brilliant. So you decide to make this big move to the United States in 1997, and in some respects, against your parents' wishes. And I find it interesting that your father really had this big picture for you, and yet at the same time, they were against you coming to America. They wanted, in some respects, for you to be that traditional Indian girl, if I may say that, and arrange your marriage. So explain how all of that unfolded. I think my parents wanted, you know, what was best for me and also look out for my safety and well-being. I think that was a big concern at that time for their only daughter, their only child to leave home who has never left home before 
to go across continents and go off into a whole different country with no resources of support. I think that was a scary proposition for my parents, as it would be for most parents. Their hesitation was really out of fear for my safety and my ability to sort of make it on my own. But they certainly wanted me to pursue my career and have the success on my own terms. I think as far as arranged marriage is concerned, that was so much a part of coming of age for any girl in India, at least at that time, you know, mm-hmm. that I was growing up, it was considered very normal. You come right. of age and you start to get proposals from suitable mates <laughs> and families arranging their sons and daughters getting married and all of that. I went through all of that. You know, there were times when I'd come home and suddenly find a bunch of strangers, family <laughs> sitting there with a silver platter full of gifts with a proposal for their son to marry me. And I remember feeling absolutely horrified with the idea of being sort of married off to a stranger and not being able to live my biggest dreams. And my parents, while they were supportive of me, they were also part of the cultural context at the time. And while they entertained it, I'm grateful that they never forced me into anything. (laughs) And so when I finally made the decision to say, you know what, I have really big dreams and I believe America is a place where those dreams will come true and I just have to go. As worried as they were, they did eventually, you know, allow me to pursue my dreams and take off and make my way here. What did you think that you would find coming to America? What was that dream? I can't say that I had a very specific, clear ambition Mm -hmm. in terms of a career path. And that's very typical for most young people at that Mm -hmm. age. There's, There's an inner quest and a burning desire, but you don't necessarily know exactly what it might be. And it was very much the same for me. I just had this burning desire to create massive impact. I was always obsessed with scale. Something about the idea of impact at scale was an obsession for me. And it goes back to that collage because Mm -hmm. everyone on that collage had global impact. And so had this desire to make a really big difference. My obsession about big problems that are humanity's greatest challenges was always very attractive to me. I just didn't know how to translate that burning (laughs) desire into an actual career path or even a specific interest. And so I started off with business school. I had different interests, but I really struggled to say, how do I go from point A to point B? No idea. (laughs) But I trusted that somehow the path would unfold and I just had to keep taking steps forward. Well, part of that path unfolding leads you to get not one master's degree, but three master's degrees, (laughs) business management, strategy, economics, information services, or AI, as we commonly call it. And I might also point out, ladies and gentlemen who are listening, Nikki is also fluent in five languages. So this is quite the background. Was this all just about the search of trying to figure out where you fit in and what was right for you? Yes, it very much was about that. I was always very much led by hunger for growth. And I have this absolutely insatiable curiosity to find answers to questions. Some of those questions led me down completely different academic paths. But I didn't put myself in a box. You know, my undergrad was in accounting. My (laughs) first master's was in economics. Then it was in strategy. And then it was in technology. But I just was curious about how the world would unfold and the things that I wanted to learn. And what formal academic education did for me was not so much about what I learned, but I learned discipline 
the act of learning. Mm -hmm. I became skilled at the act of learning. And when I really think about where the world is headed today, you can never know everything or anything (laughs) for too long. (laughs) The shelf life of skills and knowledge is barely 18 months. And so the only superpower anyone can have is the skill of learning. That is the greatest superpower of all. And I think when I look back to whether it's the number of master's degrees or the languages, it's not about any one of those. It's the fact that I became really skilled at learning. And that is a superpower. Mm, That's brilliant. I love that analogy. You end up having a number of prominent roles and jobs in M&A, business strategy, and all of those led to you traveling a lot. And you talk about learning. So what did you learn about yourself during that time? I learned that you can be alone in a sea of people or you can feel completely full by yourself. Mm -hmm. In all of my travels around the world, whether it was business or pleasure and meeting with so many different types of people everywhere, across cultures, across geographies, across different industries, I kept seeing the same thing, that there's this deep hunger that people have to be seen to be heard and to belong. Mm -hmm. And that is such a human condition that drives us in what we do and the decisions we make and the choices we make for ourselves and how we show up in the world. Not only seeing that in other people, but realizing the same is true of me. Mm -hmm. I never stayed too long in any one place. And so there was a part of me that was constantly transient, never part of the same neighborhood for too long, (laughs) you know, friends in all places, but none where I live, you know, that kind of thing. But I finally discovered sort of this ability to, you know, how important community really is. And community is not defined by a zip code. Community is not defined by culture or language or things we share in common. But the most powerful aspect of what helps you build community is to be accepting and to not have fear of differences. Mm -hmm. Those very fears that we tend to have of people that are different from us, they think differently, they pray differently, only builds barriers. And it prevents our own growth. It not just prevents our ability to connect with other people, but prevents us from growing. And I'm thankful that I was able to get so much exposure and really sort of see myself through the lens of other people and grow through it all. And part of that growing was that you realized also that you were really not meant for, quote unquote, a traditional Indian life. And nor did you realize at the time that you were gay. How did you make that discovery and how did your family react? Coming from traditional Indian society, having been born and raised in India, and then through my own journey of self-discovery, realizing gosh, not only was I not meant for a traditional Indian marriage, I'm not really meant for a traditional marriage at all. Being able to come to terms with it myself first, Mm -hmm. and then having the courage to share that with family, with friends, and worry about being abandoned by them or rejected by that was a terrifying idea. Mm -hmm. For a while, even in the workplace, I had a very successful corporate career, and yet I was completely closeted at work. Nobody had any idea. I had this very mainstream identity of being this young overachiever who was very successful, but I never talked about my personal life, really did not share anything with anyone. And so it only created a deep degree of isolation Mm -hmm. because if no one really sees you for who you are, you only shrink more into isolation. And it got to the point where 
the isolation got so bad that I, going back to everyone has this desire to be seen, to be heard, to belong. I didn't feel that at all because I didn't belong anywhere and I didn't feel truly seen or truly heard, mm-hmm. not just within my inner circle, but even people externally. And when I finally made the decision to come out first to close friends and mm-hmm. who I was very grateful for their support and eventually to my family, it was a terrifying prospect. I first told my dad and he was incredible in accepting me right away. He was very loving. And he said, I just want you to be safe and loved. And now that you've decided to come out of the cupboard, I hope everything is fine. And I was like, dad, it's called closet, not cupboard. <laughs> it's okay. It's a, that's, a dad, that's a dad comment. I love it. Yeah, that's a dad comment. My mom had a much harder time. Uh, You know, she's far more traditional. And again, for her, it was more about, gosh, what will people say? What if this comes back to hurt you in some way? But eventually she too grew very accepting. And today I couldn't be happier to have the support of all of my family and friends. But what I learned through this whole process was not only the pain that people go through when they're not living their full authentic lives and being true to who they are. But there's power in visibility. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first time that I publicly came out professionally was an accident. It was an interview on CNBC about something completely unrelated about businesses in California. In the context of that interview, they mentioned something about me being gay. Well, that article goes viral, including all for India. And next thing I know, high school friends and elementary school friends and relatives and everyone's contacted me because they just found out about me through CNBC. Oh my gosh. It was quite a public coming out. Needless to say, in the end, it all worked out. And I consider myself lucky that it was a happy ending versus so many others that struggle with acceptance in one shape or form. Yeah. You do have a serious relationship, and it was with a woman in San Francisco, and sadly, your partner committed suicide, and not being married to her created so many challenges, and you've talked about that experience a little bit as being a stepping stone of the new version of who you are. Can you share with us what that means? That was a really, really traumatic time of my life. It was actually my first experience with death, (laughs) believe it or not, never experienced personal loss prior to that. And so the first experience was really traumatic in that way, especially the loss of your significant other who chooses to commit suicide. It ignited a level of transformation within me to realize how important hope really is. Mm -hmm. My partner made that choice because she was deeply depressed and unhappy. At the core of it was loss of hope. Mm -hmm. Happiness is a daily choice you have to make, but happiness comes from hope and hope comes from believing in something bigger than yourself. And that experience, looking at it from her lens, really helped me understand the power of purpose, Mm -hmm. the choices we have to make, that it's so easy to slip into a mindset that can only spiral us downwards, but we equally have a choice to spiral ourselves upward and making that daily choice to be happy, to live in gratitude and to believe in something bigger than yourself that you strive for can be absolutely game changing. So not only discovering that for myself, but then realizing how incredibly powerful that can be to unlock human potential 
because so many people wake up, go do their jobs, and it's sort of saying, thank God it's Friday and I have my paycheck versus living their greatest lives and like following their purpose. And if I could figure out a way to give them a platform and build a community that really helps to do that, it would create massive impact. And so in some way, my life felt like it came full circle through this traumatic event, going back to that collage and thinking about massive impact, a path that suddenly made sense to me. Mm. All of these experiences really create these major pivot points in your life, ultimately leading to you co-founding Beyond Barriers, which is a global leadership platform. And you're, you're doing it with the woman who's now the partner in your life and in work, Monica, which is really great. Yes. What is the mission behind Beyond Barriers? Beyond Barriers was founded on a singular mission, which is to accelerate women in leadership. If you look at the research studies from whether it's World Economic Forum or McKinsey studies and so forth, the economic opportunity gap for women is going to take more than two and a half centuries to close. Mm. Now, I'm just not that patient. I'm willing to wait. <laughs> 257 years to close the gender gap in that because the future is bright. There's so much innovation. There's so much economic opportunity for everyone. And product services policies require perspective from men and women. And we can't have women not having a seat at the table, not having influence over the things that are getting built for the future. And the gating factor is really how do we help more women rise up in leadership mm -hmm. to have a seat at the table. And yet for most companies, if you look at global companies around the world, the representation at the top is a small fraction of the entry-level talent that they have. At the entry level, it's equal. It's 50-50 men and women. And mm -hmm. yet you go at the top and it's a single-digit representation in a lot of companies. And where this falls apart is really the mid-career level. Yes. The mid-career is called the broken rung. And that's where the biggest drop off happens, both for internal and external reasons. Mm -hmm. For women, you know, a lot of times there's a change in their life stage, marriage, maternity and so forth. But also from a career standpoint, that's where you go oftentimes from being an individual contributor to becoming a leader and a manager. You need more coaching. You need more guidance. You need mentorship. You need more resources at that stage. And yet that is the stage where most companies invest the least. Mm -hmm. Most of the investment that they make is VP and above or for the super high performers, that's where they invest all of their resources or executive coaching or leadership development budgets. But for the early to mid career, there's almost nothing that is available at scale. Mm. And they really have to do it on their own if they even want to do that on their own. They're not going to get the support of their companies more than likely. Exactly. So they're kind of left to their own devices and We've also seen that oftentimes women hesitate to invest in themselves. So mm -hmm. you've got these competing challenges of women not investing enough in themselves, companies not investing in that stage. And so this problem continues to remain a challenge. And even in situations where it is being solved, it's too slow and it's not scalable and it's not measurable. Mm -hmm. What Beyond Barriers is, it's a technology platform. Think of it like the Peloton for professional development. And we're basically democratizing access to leadership coaching for women in the workplace. So we're helping companies develop the next generation of leaders through cohort-based coaching, where we put women together with their peers and assign an executive coach. They go through step-by-step -step leadership development training during that process. And as a result of that, companies are able to provide this at a 
fraction of the cost, but more importantly, facilitate faster transformation for women in the workplace that can now navigate to the top a lot faster. Mm, I love it. Well, Beyond Barriers, besides being the company that you co-founded with Monica, Beyond Barriers, How to Unlock Your Limitless Potential is the title of your book. What do you want readers to take away from your book? That every human being has limitless potential, and yet there's barriers that hold us back from truly tapping into that. If you really think of life like a video game where we all start off at the same level with a certain set of skills and strategies and confidence, our only path to rising up to the next level and the next level is to overcome the challenges at the level that we're at. Mm. And the obstacle is the path to the opportunity. And if you think of it that way, every obstacle gives you a chance to develop better skills, to deploy better strategies and have more confidence. And if you look at obstacles that way and say, I'm bigger than my problems, I'm bigger than what's in front of me, I just have to get to the other side. And that's what helps you get to level two and then to level three, mm-hmm. because every level of the problems just get bigger. Yeah, That is really the fundamental concept of the book in profiling and interviewing so many incredibly successful people. That was the one thing that they all had in common was this idea of continuous growth and looking at obstacles as an opportunity. Mm. I love all the different lessons of leadership that flow throughout this as well. Not surprisingly, Nikki, you have received numerous awards, among them Entrepreneur of the Year by Ace, Ernst & Young's North America Entrepreneurial Winning Woman, the LA Women of Influence by the Business Journals and Women of Entrepreneurship by LA Lakers and Comerica Bank. I mean, really, quite outstanding. Congratulations on all those accolades. Thank you so much. With so many next chapters in your life, what does it mean to you now, today, to be in this chapter? And how is that living your best life? This chapter to me is really preparing for legacy is the best way I can think of it. Because someone had once told me that your first half of your life is legitimacy and the second half of your life is legacy. And it's a journey. Legitimacy, gaining credibility, competence, Mm -hmm. all of that prepares you. And then it's all about giving away your gifts. And for me, that's the beginning of that second half of my life is where I'm at right now, which is why it's so much about meaning and living my best life really through giving to others and fulfilling my dream of creating impact at scale. And to do that and applying it to the thing that matters to me the most, which is solving humanity's greatest challenges. I think We are living in such interesting times where, on one hand, we're facing some of the biggest problems we've ever faced. On the other hand, we have more resources and more technologies and more capabilities to be able to solve them. And so the excitement of being able to focus on those really big macro problems and building communities and bringing together incredibly talented people and building a movement through it is what I'm absolutely committed to doing. I love your optimism as well, Nikki. Fantastic. If you'd like to learn more about Nikki and Beyond Barriers, just go to IamBeyondBarriers.com. That's IamBeyondBarriers.com. Nikki, thank you so much for sharing your true self with all of us today. And I'm certainly wishing you and Monica much success, both personally and professionally. It's been really great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be on your show. And I would invite all your listeners to also take a free assessment, uh, which is imbeyondbearers.com slash quiz. 
where you can discover exactly what your own barriers are and figure out how to solve them. Perfect. I love that. And I hope people will do that as well. And thanks to all of you for listening today. May Nikki's story of taking risks and following through on your own personal values inspire you to live your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud. Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.